As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to UIN's The West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney and I'm joined as always by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Rashane, disappointing result against City at the weekend, but a decent performance. We still believe, am I right? Oh, 100%. We definitely still believe, Sam. And yeah, I'm a little disappointed not to uh, at least get a point from that match. I was so proud when I looked at my timeline after the game and I saw a lot of West Ham fans were like, oh, it would have been great to get a point. It shows how far we've come as a club that we're disappointed not to get a result against Man City. Like, it was so positive after and I was so happy. Like, it was just it just showed how far we've come as a club under Moyes. Mm. And I, I came away from that game not for even feeling down about not getting a result. I came away from that game feeling, you know what, the players gave it all. And that image of Vladimir Safar after just looking so distraught, I was like, yeah, this is a new team. This is definitely a new team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, I, I thought that we we matched them really. I mean, obviously they dominate possession, but that's the case against any club in the league because that's the way that Moyes sets his teams up is to see possession. So I didn't think that was a poor reflection. Us, we limited them to very few chances on goal, and I think that you know we had a decent amount of attacks as well. So we'd obviously learn our lessons from the Liverpool game where we had, you know, sat too far back and been too cautious when when we got possession. I felt that we did very well and I did feel unlucky because I felt that their first goal came from a, a kind of a moment of genius, although on reflection, I wonder whether or not had Ogbonna been playing, that ball might have been cleared, that cross. And also, you know, just a, a little bit of a slip in defence, uncharacteristic slip in defence for the second goal. Other than that, we limited their chances. So let me ask you this, Richard. I don't want to be harsh on any individual players, but those are two uncharacteristic slips in defence as far as I'm concerned. Do you think if Bonner had been playing in that game, we might have got something more out of it? Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe if Bonner was in that in the start 11, then definitely would have avoided the first goal that uh, Ruben Diaz scored. But, but listen, I, I'm not going to like fault Diop too, too. I'm not going to be too harsh on Diop because I feel like he's actually done well since coming in as as a bonus replacement. So listen, I know the fans are a bit disappointed with Diop, but he's so close at the end to getting that equaliser. So he almost redeemed himself. So, but my no, only frustration... Hang on, hang on. Just to be devil's advocate, 
you're saying that as if it's a positive. But my point of view <laughs> is he should have finished that chance. It was a great chance. Yeah, that's true. And he fluffed it. Because it seemed like he was torn between him to like head it towards Suchek or score. Because mm. if, if you look at the replay, like it was close. Suchek was close to going out on the end of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of torn between whether like he was in two and one about what to do. But as you, as you mentioned, he should have scored, to be honest. He should have. I think that if he was trying to, if you give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, actually, he was trying to direct the ball to Suchet, then I think he, that was a stupid decision. Because <laughs> if you are if you have a, a clear header from a corner in the final minute of a game, you hit it in the direct, you head it in the direction of the goal and hope for the best. You don't try something as elaborate as thinking, I'm just going to flick this to the far post so we can sort of, you know, yeah. uh, score, score a more attractive looking goal. I think, you know, he has to head that towards the goal. I think, you know, he, he scored a great header against Sheffield United, so he can score from corners. Dawson's probably been our biggest threat, certainly in recent weeks, from corners. And, and he has a much more straightforward, he will stick his nut on the end of a cross as hard as he bloody can and then ask questions to the keeper. That's what I'd have liked to have seen. So whilst I said I didn't want to dig out players individually, and I do think Diop's been great so far, covering for Ogbonna. What I would say is this, at this level that we are currently operating at, trying to compete for a top four place with those amazing teams, all of whom have built sides with a lot more money than us, the margins are finer than ever. And I think that's what we learned against City. These are tiny margins. I thought that on the whole, we match City in quality and effort. But just, I would say, two, possibly three uh, tiny errors that probably wouldn't have happened had we had our main defender in the side, Ogbonna. That's what made the difference on the day. And that is the difference between being a top side who are going to challenge for a title or consistently be in the Champions League and a side that's not quite there yet. We, when, we have, when we're missing our main man in defence, are susceptible to those small errors. And against City... I mean, it's a cliche, but you will be punished. We were punished. You know, we we were punished because they will finish those chances. I mean, the second goal, I found that very... I mean, you know, the first goal, at least... This was a kind of a wonder cross from De Bruyne. I felt that, um, uh, you know, Diop could have cleared it, cleared his lines. But it was an incredible pinpoint cross. I was more frustrated by the second one as to why John Stones was sitting there unchallenged. Because one thing that we've been very good at in in uh, this season is just blocking shots off. We very, you know, we, our keeper is not called upon that often because you know Ogbonna, Cresswell, Rice, all of them, the midfielders and defenders, are so brave at just throwing themselves in those last gasp ways in front of shots, and yet Stones had acres of space and all the time in the world to just slot that calmly home. Um, who should have been picking him up? Were you not frustrated by that? No, I am. I'm also, but you know, Mar is getting the crossing because that was Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson sort of showed him on his on his stronger side, his left foot, mm. and that's how he's able to get the crossing for Johnson to score. So I'm I'm also disappointed in the fact that you know Ben Johnson wasn't tight enough with his marking and he allowed Maris to cut in his left foot to make the cross for John Stones. Obviously, as we all know, who scored. So that's what I'm disappointed in with that goal. I'm up to, to, to defending from uh, Ben Johnson. Yeah. Well, that's really harsh. You're getting stuck into the kid there. Uh, I know, but <laughs> I, I feel like he's done well. He, 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 he otherwise had a decent game, actually, didn't he? I mean, he, he was he was all right 
for, uh, I mean, to, at the beginning of the game, I thought he was fantastic. I felt that his confidence perhaps faded a little bit after a couple of errors. But I still think he's he's going to be a great player. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But you know what? My, I wouldn't say my frustration, but the one where I was like, if he'd just gone for a bit more was obviously Moyes and his subs. Because uh, it brought on Boren and Ben Rama, I think around 84th minute, if I'm not mistaken. And I was thinking, yeah. like, get them on earlier, Moyes. Like, 7th minute, get them on. You know, that's that's the only frustration I have on Moyes. I think he's doing a great job, but I just wish he was a bit more a bit more risk taker. But you could argue, you mm. know, Moyes being the way he has enabled West Ham to be in the top four. But Moyes tracks as a type of person, right? Listen, I'm not trying to promote gambling in any way, shape, or form. But let's say you win like, I don't know, twenty pound on a on a betting app. Moyes the type of person I'll be, you know what, I won twenty pounds, I'm gonna cash out, I'm happy with that. Yeah. But another manager like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bet this twenty pounds on someone to score a striker, someone to score a hat trick rather. And get I don't know two hundred pounds. I'm gonna do that. I have that. I have that risk in me. <laughs> so mm. I feel like I like it if Moyes is a bit more risk taker. That said, you should always gamble responsibly. Folks. <laughs> and, and and despite what Rashane is indicating, a lot of the time it is best just to you know cash out, take what you've got, and carry on with your life. Um, Moyes, <laughs> I, I I did think it was great that he said he was really disappointed to not get a point out of that game. Would have been nicer, I suppose, if you'd said, I'm really disappointed not to have got a victory. Because we could have won that. We could have won it. We were in the game and, and you know, I I, I wouldn't, you know, at half time, I felt relaxed. I felt a lot more relaxed than I had done in the Spurs game, actually. I thought, well, we know what we're doing here. We look like we're in control. And it was only a couple of moments that, that cost us the game. I suppose we can write that off. I suppose we can think, well, the teams around us have all got to play City. I don't know if they've all got to play City, but everyone has to play City and City are winning most of their games, you know, all, all of them at the moment. Uh, so we can kind of write that off. The other results went in our favour in as much as Chelsea and United drew, Leicester lost. So, you know, the the, the dream's still alive, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah, leads but... up, and leads up next to, I thought we... we had one of our best performances of the entire season when we played Leeds away before Christmas. Yeah, Ben Lama was amazing in that match. And mm. just one last point in the Man City game. It's another match where like West Ham are 1-0 down and you're still quite confident the team can get back in it. Like, rarely these days are West Ham like 1-0 down like, oh no, that means we're going to lose now. Or I'm still yeah. confident the team can come back and win. So yeah, that's one last point for the Man City game. But yeah, the dream, the dream is still alive, Sam. The dream is definitely still alive. Uh, the, the team can definitely, you know, still sustain this top four challenge. As you touched on, it's a great weekend for West Ham with um, Leicester losing and Chelsea and Man United drawing. So there's no reason why the team can't go into the game against Leeds and be like, listen, it's still relatively in our hands. We can still have a, a great end to the season. Let's still sustain this form. Let's uh, look at the, the players, because it all hinges upon our keeping our, our key players fit and in the side. Uh, first of all, what's the story on Fabianski, mate? What do you know about that? <laughs> so, obviously, I was surprised at everyone else when we saw uh, Dyer Randolph named the start 11. Thinking, Dyer Randolph? Like, good <laughs> goalkeeper, but Dyer Randolph? Yeah. So, obviously, it was confirmed to us that uh, Fabianski sustained an elbow injury uh, the Friday during training. And it was a case where someone stood in his arm. So, we don't know who the culprit is. The club are being tight-lipped on that. So... Unfortunately, I haven't got a name to give you guys. Maybe it was but, Darren Randolph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, but Moyes is optimistic that Fabianski will be back for the um, for the game against Leeds on Monday. So mm. it shouldn't be too serious. 
Mm. Just precautionary more than anything else. Really. I, I think that I think Randolph wasn't. You can't look at Randolph free of Manchester City's goals, uh, really, can you? So um, there was no problem there. There was a worrying moment though when he picked up a knock, and um, and we had David Martin warming up. All due respect to him, I did think David Martin doesn't get much, you know, action in a footballing sense. I mean, I've I've no idea what his marital situation is. Uh, if that came out the wrong way. No, I mean, he doesn't really get much match time, does he? And I think, oh, we could that we could have done without him coming on. Um, so, you know, I think that Fabianski, let's hope he comes back. What's the latest on Ogbonna? Yeah, the latest on Ogbonna, we still haven't got a time to go on it, but the club are optimistic that hopefully he'll be back at some point towards the end of the season. It's not as bad as first, first feared. Obviously, I was at the game against Man United and he suffered an ankle injury and he started, started screaming in pain. You're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen here? So he should be back at some point uh, before the end of the season. And, um, you know, we've talked about Diop. We know that Moyes is, is not afraid to make changes. I mean, you know, recently there have been changes in most games. There was a, there was a phase earlier in the season where it just seemed like you knew what the eleven was going to be in every game. But now, particularly if we haven't won, he will almost always tweak the lineup, um, irrespective of injuries. What, what do we think about the chance of Balbuena getting a run out? Because before, you know, the injury to Ogbonna, the shake-up in, in defence, going to three-man and Dawson coming in and surprising us all, Balbuena at the beginning of the season was doing fantastically in a back three alongside Ogbonna and Cresswell. Diop, I was quite surprised when Ogbonna got injured that Diop was the one getting the nod ahead of Balbuena because I felt Balbuena may have been ahead of him um, in the pecking order. Diop's had a little bit of a wobble in the last game. Do you think he might give Balbuena a go against Leeds? He could. And the reason why um, Moyes went for Diop instead of Balbuena for that uh, Man United game because Balbuena suffered a bit of a fire injury in the warm-up. Right. So Yeah, ah, so okay. that's yeah, so that's why um, Moyes went for ah, Diop instead. Ah, I see. So it actually was supposed to be Balbuena stepping yeah. in. Yeah, it's supposed to be him stepping in, but he suffered a fire, a fire injury in the warm-up. And, so. and then if we get a positive result, Moyes is the sort of manager who's loyal and he won't he won't drop you if we've won and you've played more often than not. Um, so Diop's kept his place. But yeah, it could be that we see we could see Balbuena playing alongside Dawson in the next game then. Yeah, it could be. And it just got to show like, how strong defence is for West Ham right now. Yeah. You, you touched on a Barbarian. There's also a young player called Frederick Alvarez, who West Ham signed in January. You could get a chance before the end of the season. And in many ways, I, I thought I saw, sort of feel sorry for Barbarian because obviously, you all know he played well at the start of the season when um, Diop uh, had COVID and he was brought in and played well. And then it was a case where Barbarian came into contact with someone who had COVID. So he had to self-isolate and that's where Craig Dawson got his chance to get Southampton and we all mm. know he's been playing brilliant ever since and obviously Balbrina's supposed to get his chance when Obama suffered the injury and what happened Balbrina suffers a fire injury in the warm-up so it's just been so unlucky recently in terms of like game time but we all know he's, he's absolutely been great this season hopefully he'll get a chance soon well on the day that um, Ian St John has sadly passed away you know it puts me in mind of what Jimmy Greaves used to say on Saint and Greavesy, which was a show that used to go out long before you were born, Rashane. And he, his catchphrase was, it's a funny old game, Saint. And I'm putting mind of that every day because, you know, if you look at West Ham, in the summer break, 
the story was what are West Ham going to do to strengthen their centre-back situation. The whole story, it ran like a bloody saga. We were trying to get James Tarkovsky from Burnley. That didn't work out. We must have had a pop at getting every single centre-back who you'd ever heard of uh, in Europe. Uh, all these deals that were nearly there and then fell through at the last minute. We were talking about it loads on the podcast. And it seemed like the only thing that Moyes was interested in was strengthening that position. Now, if you look at it, we're playing three at the back in a lot of games. And we have such depth that even when there's injuries and COVID crises, we've got chance after chance after chance. And we haven't even... Declan Rice has no, come nowhere near having to fill in in that position. And there's probably an argument that Declan Rice is better than all of them in, in centre-back or midfield. I've, I've got a theory that you could... Declan Rice may well be the best in every position in the team. <laughs> what, even a striker? You were up front? <laughs> I think you could play Declan Rice up front. I'm not joking. I was actually... There was a there was a period when we were still sort of labouring with Haller up front and Antonio was injured and it felt like we didn't have any options up front other than Haller. So we just had to stick with him, even when he wasn't running, he wasn't taking chances. He looked like a bit of a passenger at times. And you know how it is, you're on a WhatsApp group with, with other West Ham fans during the game, having a sort of a, a, a chat along to the game. And I and my mate, Ben, was like going on about for weeks. He was saying, I'm telling you, we can play Rice up front. And when he first said it, I thought, ah, he's mucking about. But then I realised he was serious. And when we were in trouble and you see how Declan Rice is one of those rare footballers who can basically do everything. He can do everything. I mean, you know, if you said to Declan Rice, go up front with your back to goal, hold it up when we play it into you, hold off defenders and then wait and lay it off and then turn, right? Declan Rice could do that. He's got the touch, he's got the technique, he's got the strength and he's got the presence of mind, right? I'm not I'm not arguing for it happening in reality. I'm just saying, you know, I think our plan B now when Antonio's out is, I think, was it, who was it? Was it against Sheffield United when we played with a false nine? Uh, I think, I think it was, it was against Bowen. them. Was it Bowen who played? Oh yeah, it's sort of Bowen, but it was it was yeah. kind of it was it was Bowen, but it was like they were they were sort of rotating up front, weren't they? Bowen and Ben Rama and um, maybe Four Nails, I can't remember. And uh, and and I think you know yeah he could do that. He could play anywhere. But anyway, the point is we've got all this strength and depth in uh, at centre back, and we thought that position where we were in the most trouble um in the summer so it's a fantastic fantastic thing to see um what about the rest of the side you, you do you feel that you know again ben rama misses out he's got to be in vishana because i felt that in both the last two games when he's come on a sub and in fact against i think manchester united in the cup he came on a sub as well and every time he comes on he seems to make a real difference so I feel he's really, really unlucky to not be getting a start in a uh, chance against these teams. I agree. And obviously, no return fixture against Leeds. I thought Ben Rahman was amazing. Like, I just felt like everything mm. clicked for him that night. Lincoln that was probably that his best game, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe. I reckon a lot of West Ham fans will agree with you, Sam. He was just amazing. There was moments where he took the mickey, actually. <laughs> yeah. And that probably annoyed Moyes because he warmed into the game and you could see his confidence was building. So he actually did a couple of moments that were fantastic to watch. And you sat at home applauding because he was doing pirouettes and nutmegs and all the rest of it all over, in, in you know, right in the middle of the pitch and stuff like that, which I suspect Moyes and Alan Irvin don't like to see because he was doing it in areas of the pitch where if he hadn't pulled it off and had lost possession, 
it would have been a bit disastrous. But of course, as fans, we love to see all that stuff when it works. Yeah, and it's good to have a player who's a bit different in terms of their mm. playing style. You don't want to have 11 players who all play the same. Of mm. course, sometimes Benmar will be a bit of a headache and scratching and thinking, what on earth are you doing? But it's more pros than more pros than cons when it comes to Ben Rama, in my opinion. And I look yeah. at this current team right now in terms of who who could like lose their place. And I reckon it'll be Pablo for an hour. Who could lose his place? I like Pablo. And I thought in the first half against Spurs City, Pablo played so good. Like he was really good in the first half. But you know, sometimes you know, sometimes I do my weird comparisons. And I think mm. I think I've nailed it when it comes to four hours of Ben Rama. So four hours, right? He's that kid in school who's so nice. He's the nice guy. And he's got a crush on the girl, right? But he's got no confidence to approach her. Like, everyone knows he likes her, but he's got no confidence. This Next sounds like... Week... I'll be honest, mate. That sounds like me. That sounds <laughs> like chi- child, childhood Sam. Childhood Sam. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm relating a lot to Four Nails at the uh, moment. Go on. I, mean, I bet Ben Rama's you, isn't it? Go no. On. Ben Rama right. comes, right? He just comes along. Just randomly pops up. New pupil, right? And he's the bad guy. Like, everyone knows mm. him as the bad guy. And he, and he has his sights on this girl. Like, everyone knows he's going to get her. He comes along, takes the girl, takes him less time than it took four hours to try and even talk to her. And that, that's, that's his girlfriend now. That's his mm. girlfriend. The bad guy comes along. He's got killer done. instinct. Yeah. He's got killer and, instinct. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I thought that was Ben Rama. He just comes along, gets his job done. And I feel like Moise to sort of unleash him. Unleash him now because he's good. Yeah, sometimes you could do the odd trick that gets you frustrated, but I feel like he's he's much more of a threat on the uh, offensive end than Four Niles. I like Four Niles, great work rate, but he's so, I remember, right, I think it was second half against Man City, and Four Niles was on a counter-attack. A great chance for West Ham, and I think it was Antonio to his right and Lingard to his left. And as again, another situation where Four Niles didn't know what to do, and then obviously the Man City defence uh, regained possession, you're thinking, like, oh, come on, Four Niles, like, how many times are you getting good positions and, you know, keep wasting it? And I thought, like, if that were, like, Ben Rama, you, you can definitely back him to even make a pass to Lingard or Antonio. Like, you could have faith that he'll make the right pass. And I just feel like he's, yeah, he's much more of a threat on the offensive end than Four Niles. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I feel like there's not many games where we've seen Four Nows, Lingard, Bowen and Antonio will play together. Sometimes he won't play that many players, especially if we've got three at the back, won't play that many attackers. Uh, Sometimes, so there'll only be three. When we're playing three at the back, you usually have three of those four I just mentioned. Other times, even when you've got four, Lanzini gets his chance, Fornells gets his chance. But I think when they're all on form, that's the front four that most West Ham fans would want to see. Um, Lingard perhaps roaming around in the middle with Ben Rama on the left and Bowen on the right and Antonio up front. Um, I hope that's what we see 
against Leeds United. I mean, Bowen has had his struggles recently, but sometimes I think with Bowen, he just runs himself into the ground. He needs a rest <laughs> yeah. like, like every now and again, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I, I sort of like it if uh, a boy could play the same formation he played against Aston Villa in a 3-1 win. I know Ryan mm. Fredericks is suffering with um, a groin strain, so he probably won't be involved in the Leeds match. But I felt like in that match, we saw a great partnership developing between uh, Ben Rahm and Lingard. And it was yeah. really good. I thought that was, I thought it was so good. And we haven't really seen it since. Like, yeah. we haven't seen it no, since you're right. I mean, it's, it's seeing them together is amazing. But because they have a, it's, when you see players, you have a natural understanding. So they, they sense where each other are without looking up because they, they trust each other to make sort of intelligent or unconventional runs. Yeah. There's, there's been a couple of times where, you know, even Antonio, who I love to pieces, he's my favourite player, but, you know, he's not the same sort of player necessarily as Lingard and Ben Rama, who see who see passes and see the shape of the game in an unusual, different sort of a way. More, you know, sort of like they they can magic something that no one else can see. When you have got two players like that playing together, it's fantastic to see. There was a, I, I think it was at least one incident against City where Lingard played a ball and Antonio was running in completely the opposite direction, which <laughs> yeah. made it look like a bad pass. But in actual fact, it was just that Antonio didn't read, didn't really read what Lingard was going to try to do. And when you see Lingard and Ben Rama together, they just have that natural understanding. It's a joy to watch. And I think that against a side like, no disrespect, I don't want to sound like we're getting up ourselves and that we are, you know, permanently different level to Leeds United now. Leeds United are a great side, but against the side who aren't challenging for the top four, I think he Moyes is more likely to to try that sort that those combinations of players together. I feel that when when we play City, Spurs, Liverpool, he he will always pick a slightly more cautious lineup, which usually means yeah. no Ben Rama because I, I think he just worries that Ben Rama will give possession away when we're in attack. Because he thinks that there's always a chance that Ben Rama is going to try something spectacular or try to beat that one extra man, and that we will give possession away. And against the very best sides, as we found against Liverpool in particular, we saw this happen. Is that you can lose the ball in the opposition area, and in two passes they can be in on your goal. Um, you don't really have time to make up that. I think that's what Moyes worries about with Ben Rama, but. Regarding Ben Rama, the only mistake I can remember him making since he's been at West Ham is giving away the penny against Fulham. Oh, I think mm. I'm right to say he fouled Tom, Tom Kearney. That's the only mistake I can recall Ben Rama making. And you sort of, as a manager, you've got to give the player the, the sort of confidence that, listen, if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. I'll back you to still do good. And that Leeds, that game against Leeds, it was so entertaining, like end-to-end -end football. West Ham, I think, had eight shots on target in that match. And I can, I can, see, I can see it be a similar match come Monday. I really can. And... Why not just put Ben Rama in again? Ben Rama, I forgot who he was against. He provided the assist. Ah, oh, who was it against? He came off the bench providing assist. It was 1-0. And it was against, I think, was it the first game against Sheffield United, maybe? Yeah, I believe so. And it I was 0-0 right till the, we, it looked like it was going to be a 0-0 draw. And he came on late, received the ball and had the presence of mind to play it square to Suchek. I think that was what happened. Might be wrong. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think that's the game. Or maybe you're talking about the one against uh, Fulham. You're talking about the one against Fulham, in fact, the winning goal. I'm, right. I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about the recent one against Sheffield United, where he was on the bench. He came on. That's the one. He came off the bench and provided the assist for Ryan Fredericks. 
It's a nice right, little step yeah, over. Yeah. I'm providing yeah. assist for Ryan Fredericks. So again, like it can have an impact off the bench. He's not one of those players mm. who come off the bench thinking, ah, oh, he's not really gonna do much. Like, just give him the just give him have the faith in him, boys. Come on, have yeah. faith in Ben Rama. We all know he's talented. Like, it could be the difference for us. Uh, well, we'll see. We've got a nice long rest till Monday, which is another thing in our favour. Although, in lockdown, I get so used to sort of feeling like I, I can watch West Ham from the comfort of my sofa every, like, three days or so. Feels like a bloody lifetime waiting from Saturday till the following Monday. But anyway, it's good for the club. We run more than most teams. I feel like we really benefit from those long rests in particular. So hopefully we'll be back uh, firing on all cylinders against Leeds and I think we'll get a result in that game. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Listen, before we uh, wrap things up, I'd like to talk about Glenn Rodo, who sadly passed away this week and um, his time as manager of West Ham. Uh, I don't know what your memories are. You're a lot younger. You might be, you might not have very vivid memories of the Glenn Rodo era, West Ham, Rochelle. I would have been, I would have been what, nine? During his first right. season in charge, if I'm not mistaken, I would have been mm. nine or eight. Mm. And obviously, yeah, I'd you know, very young at the time, but players I spoke to, the likes of like Shaki Hislop, John Monker, but you all spoke well about Glenn and how he was a really good manager, how he you know, had a lot of banter on the training ground, where different ways he would sort of five him up and whatnot. And it's sort of story I saw and I was like, oh my goodness, not Glenn. Like that was my initial mm. reaction. It just sort of stopped me in my mm. tracks, to be honest. Like, I was really mm. surprised when I saw it. And yeah, it's incredibly sad news because we all know he was great for West Ham in his first season. And as I mentioned, the players you spoke well about him and what it's like to play under him. And yeah, it was a really sad news, Sam. He was, it, when he came in, it was after the sort of slight chaos, although at times very enjoyable chaos, of the Harry Redknapp era. Harry Redknapp had had a decent sort of long spell. And, you know, that, that was a sort of a very famous, iconic era in which he'd brought through all the young players who went on to dominate the England team for so many years and also had brought in all kinds of mad, colourful sort of uh, Carlos Kickerballs, as they used to call them. Uh, you know, it was either former England internationals who seemed to be fading fast, obscure players from Europe you'd never quite heard of, but turned out to have one game where they looked like Diego Maradona and then just disappeared drunk or something. Or the odd legend like Paolo Futre. So anyway, we had that period um, under Redknapp and it, it was very, very chaotic. There was always something mad happening at West Ham. The teams were changing all the time. We had almost a revolving door of players going through the club. And I remember when Redknapp left, it was a big shock. And we were linked with the two the two men who were most strongly linked were Alan Kerbishley, who was doing fantastic at Charlton, and Steve McLaren who was still coach at United at the time. And for various reasons, we missed out on both of them. And they both seemed like quite prestige appointments. And when we 
hired Glenn Roder, there was a huge amount of disappointment amongst the fans, in all honesty, not because of any animosity towards him, but because it felt like we'd given him the job because we genuinely couldn't find anyone else to do it. And we thought we'll give him a go. And it felt classic West Ham that it was the cheap option because he was a coach at the club, but he actually wasn't even one of the more senior coaches. I think Harry Redknapp had brought him in to help out with scouting and the youth team when he first came to the club. So we were disappointed. But what I want to say on a positive note about him was what he brought. And I remember being at his first game that season and he, he immediately brought a sense of calm and stability to a club that had been absolutely insane for the previous few years, right? Like just a, a, a bit of a circus and, and fair play. I loved a lot of the Harry Redknapp era, but it was mad. Um, he suddenly switched us from 3-5-2 to 4-4-2. He brought in a couple of very solid, experienced professional players. Uh, David James came in. Thomas Rep came in. He re-signed Don Hutchison for his second spell at the club. And he switched to a 4-4-2. Um, and we had Defoe and... Um, I think we had Defoe and Canute up front for a lot of that season. And uh, I just sort of thought, oh, OK, maybe this guy knows what he's doing. And we did have an incredible season. We ended up finished seventh, which I think is... We haven't finished higher than that since. So people remember Glen Roder for the second season in which we got relegated. And... And for many people, that defines our memory of him. But you have to look at that in the context as well, in that we were ravished by in injuries during that season. There was a, a quite a lot of, you know, tricky characters in the squads, not all of whom were pulling in the same direction. And and I even, you know, I, I've got to say one of those was Paolo Di Canio. I think Paolo Di Canio had a difficult relationship with Glenn Roder. Glenn Roder was probably a quieter character than Harry Redknapp, who perhaps didn't blow so much smoke up to Canio's arse. And I think there was a lot of issues surrounding that at the time. And so I thought, you know, and then, of course, he had his health issues. This is when we first knew about the issue with his brain tumour in that in that second season. So I feel like, don't, you know, I've never judged Glenn Roder just by that second season when he went through lots of personal issues and we ended up getting relegated. Look at his first season. We finished seventh. That's the highest West Ham have finished in the Premier League for, what, 20 years, you know, un under him. So um, uh, th there are decent memories. He was a decent guy. He was a great player, by the way, before that, when he played for QPR and Newcastle. And he also had a, a very decent spell at Newcastle after us. So it's a real shame. Popular guy, nice guy, and, you know, part of West Ham's story, if not one of our legendary managers by yeah. any means, certainly a big part of our story. Am I also right in saying he also made a Joel Cole captain when he was like 21? He did, yeah. He yeah, did. That was in our relegation well. season, yeah. which was, yeah. you know, which was a, a, a good move. Joe Cole was such a passionate player. He was our best player at the time. And um, and we really rallied towards the end of that season. Unfortunately, after Glenn Roder got, got a brain tumour, Brooking came in and, and nearly kept us up. But we, we did rally towards the end of the season. We just had, you know, we'd had so many injuries. It was a really, really difficult time for the squad. And, you know, I always think as well, you can look back now and it's easy to say, but sometimes a team needs a couple of seasons out of the Premier League. Sometimes you just need to reboot. And we certainly rebooted when we were relegated on that occasion because, you know, that was when Alan Pardew came in and effectively rebuilt the whole squad and, and, and built a, a fantastic young squad. So it's a real shame. Way too young to go. Um, 
and it was a sad story this week. So I guess that's that. Um, what have you got coming up uh, for us to read on The Athletic this week, Rishane? Uh Coming up, uh, you know, Athletic this week, an interview with Anthony Scully, a former West Ham striker, played well for the academy. He sort of backed himself to do well in the lower leagues, uh, you know, have a good career. He's currently doing an absolutely brilliant job right now with uh, Lincoln City. You are like one of the leading clubs in League One, look on course to win um, promotion to the championship. So interview him will be out on Wednesday. And I plan to write a background on Vanya Mesafal, you know, his journey from yeah. from different clubs, Czech Republic to West Ham, because, yeah, I love Safal a lot right now. Of so. course, yeah. And we all want to know more about the mystery man from the Czech Republic. Yeah. Of course we do. Yeah, so yeah, that's definitely a piece I have in mind to write this week. Brilliant. We'll look out for that. Um, remember to subscribe to Athletic if you don't already, uh, because you will get all of Roshane's writing throughout the week uh, about West Ham with brilliant insights, interviews, and uh, everything you need to know about the Hammers, plus loads of other fantastic writing uh, about the wider world of football as well, if you care about that. Uh, until next time, come on your irons, and remember, ladies and gents, there's only one. Samasiabu! The Athletic.